exciting. Well, turn to Romans chapter 8, please. And the first part of this was picked up by Stuart last week. And we're now in the last part of our series on Romans. And we are going from verse 18 to 39. So it seems to me like you'll need your Bibles. Uh, so can you open your Bibles 18 to 39? I'm just going to read this straight out. Oh. You are a star. Thank you, sir. Much appreciated. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole, that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. What hopes? Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Yeah, that's a big amen, isn't it? All right. Well, first off, I want to remind us this is a letter. And it's really important that we get and understand that right from the off. It is a letter. That's the context. Too many people come to the New Testament and the letters, and they see it as a textbook. And Romans is is absolutely crammed full of truth. But it's perceived as a textbook for religious studies. It's not that. This is a letter, and that's the context you need to remind yourselves of this. It's a letter to a church in which there are a number of people that he personally knows. If you go to the last chapter of Romans, you will see he will reel off name after name after name. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert in the province of Asia. Mary, who worked very hard for you, Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. 27 names as well as their families. He knows them. Here's the context. The context is people, not a textbook. This is a letter written to people. It's important you understand that. This is not a sort of fix-it approach manual. Real people, real stories. And what is more, real hardships. You can't be off it. He knows them. And he knows their circumstances in which suffering is not overlooked. It's not brushed under the carpet. It's not the dirty word of Christianity. It's just part of the inevitability of life. And he refuses, refuses to diminish our lives by not making reference to this. If the, and I tell you, my friends, if suffering has, has not been part of your life, it will be. And you say, Neil, that's a negative word to say, but Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. You'll have trouble. So it does come. It comes to us. It comes to us in many forms and different ways. One writer who did a research paper on religious people and the sacrifices that they made for others in difficult circumstances. She herself had no faith, no religious background, and she was asked in an interview, how did you view these people who had a religious faith? And she said this. She said, for people of faith, God is in control and God's love will see them through. Whereas for secular people, it's all up to us. We're alone here. That's why there can be an extra layer of urgency and despair. I thought it was quite an insight, really. I want to cover three things today. And it's the reality, one, the reality of suffering. Two, the resources for suffering. And three, suffering is not the final word. Let me just run that again through for you. I want to talk about the reality of suffering, the resources for suffering, and suffering is not the final word. This is not a sudden introduction to the world of suffering. You know, oh, oh, by by the way, I'm halfway through Romans there, better let you know this. 
It's not that at all. I mean, he's referred to this in chapter 5. You know, through Adam, sin came. And, 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 and he's re- but you'll find it again and again through the Scriptures, suffering is not minimized, not in the slightest. Some of the Christians here have been disowned from their families. You know, that's what happens in certain places. Some of them have lost their livelihood. People are not doing business with them anymore. Why? Because they became Christians. They've lost their livelihood in a stroke. You don't make a cheap put up your hand for Jesus. I mean, it's a change of life, utterly. Some of them have been Some of them have been on the sharp end of persecution. Some, as Paul says, have joined him in prison. So, and Paul doesn't, he doesn't um, confine it to the aspect of persecution alone. In here, he paints a bigger picture. Everything in this world is wearing out. It's deteriorating. My friends, it's irreversible. So, It's not just us either, and we feel it. It's creation as well. So in verse 21, it it says it's subject to decay. It's it's there right in the very bones of it. Now, there is this, this thing called the second law of thermodynamics. Now, I'm not coming here as an expert, as you probably understand, but it actually confirms this. This universe is spending far more energy than it's able to restore. Creation is groaning. That's what he said. It's subject to decay. But it gets more personal than that. Our bodies tell us the same story. Now, if you're young here, you're like, what are you talking about? But our bodies tell us the same stories. Verse 23, he says, we wait eagerly for the adoption of for our adoption of sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. Praise the Lord. See, we are, we are not exempt from the deterioration. We aren't. Creams, cosmetics, nip and tuck surgery, Botox, call it what you like. You know, we do this to hide the, the, we do this to hide the deterioration. Listen, you can hide it, but you can't stop it. You've got to understand that. You can't stop it, myself included. I know this might shock you, but um, in April this year, I was, um, (laughs) I did wonder whether I ought to say this. Anyway, and in April this year, I got one of those bus passes. They're for special people, and um, when they reach a special age, (laughs) I got one of these bus, bus passes. I have used it. Uh, on four different occasions and uh, four different journeys, I want to tell you it's caused me no end of disappointment and upset. I have honestly, not, not, one, not one driver disputed my age. <laughs> I mean, I was flabbergasted. You know, when I was 18, they're asking me all the time how old you are. It seems like they give these passes to anyone. Not one driver. Thank you for that. The whole of creation, my friends. That's us as well. Yep, even you. 
has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. He uses a really intense picture here. The, the word groaning is a, it's a very strong word, you know. Um, it's intense pain. T- Tim Keller, he, he explains it as the, it's the word used for men on the battlefield. When all the smoke is cleared and the sound of battle is over and all you can hear are the terrible sounds of pain from warriors whose lives are ebbing away on the ground. He says, veterans and survivors of war will tell you all about this sound. That is the only sound you're left with. It's a terrible sound. And notice the phrase too, as in the pains of childbirth. In Paul's day, we live in a different day, but in Paul's day, my friends, they didn't have the success rate that we have today. You know, in the Middle Ages, one in every five child died before their first birthday. Just just to give you the understanding of the context here that um, Paul is talking about, the whole of creation. We live in a broken world. The Bible spells it out. It It grips our nature, it grips our history, it grips our world. Eat of the fruit of this tree and you will surely die. Genesis. Eat of the fruit of this tree and you will surely die. And he did. And death and decay broke in. It's quite clear. You don't have to be a genius to work out Something is wrong in our world. 298 passengers and crew on a routine flight from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur, blown out of the sky. One moment, everything is fine. This thing is traveling at 33,000 feet, and the next minute, it's utter destruction. And it doesn't stop there because the ripples work through all the families for whom it touches. Something is wrong. Something is broken in our world. And then you've seen it this week, you know, Palestine. And hundreds, hundreds of people killed. And every one of them is a family. And every one of them has a story. And everyone has to live with these deaths. We live in a broken world, my friends. We really do. See, this is my first point. Suffering is a reality. Let's make no bones about it. Furthermore, it's global. There's a typhoon that's gone through the Philippines, the Vietnam, China. I mean, it's left. It's left hundreds of thousands of people homeless. Many have died. Uh, I can go on, you know, this wildfires in America, and I mean, it just goes on. The whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. childbirth. Suffering is reality. And some of you here, you know this better than I do. Some of you here, you are in this right at this moment now. 
You don't need anybody like myself to tell you this is reality. This is what you experience. You're living in a place you didn't ask for. You're living in a place you didn't want to go. Some of your grief and pain is like a tidal wave, and you think it'll never stop. This is it. Suffering is a reality. But Paul says, don't be tempted to think that you are being singled out. Don't be tempted to think that. I mean, it can be so random, too. And I know we're not innocent in all of this. I understand that. But it is part of a bigger picture. All creation groans. The whole of creation. So, you need resources. Secondly, you need resources for suffering. You need resources. If anyone has first-hand experience of suffering, it's the one who writes this. Imprisonments, shipwrecked three times, flogged, beaten with rods, hunger, danger of all kinds, left for dead after being stoned outside of a city. I mean, he's got the CV, so he's not flippant. Don't think he's flippant when he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. This is just with the glory that would be revealed in us. <laughs> and in another letter he says, he talks about sufferings as light and momentary. I mean, this guy knows it. He knows the stuff. So, and he comes straight off the back, which is where Stuart was last week, and it's our relationship. What, is our, what, is our, what are our resources? My friends, our resources, I'm going to start with, with prayer and the person who we pray to. We have a relationship. You know, when troubles come, you know, a surprising number of people pray. A, a person I know very well, not a Christian, and only recently he said to me, I don't pray. I'm not religious, but prayer was my final option. On that day, he said, I prayed. I'd run out of all other options. He's still not a Christian, and he's still alive, and he's better than he was. You know, sometimes in troubled times, people will pray. Many people will pray. Christians, pray we must. It's not a last option. Too many times we look at how we can get out of this and plan our roots and make it the last option rather than the first. Christians, pray we must at all times, he says in his letter to the Thessalonians. We have a relationship that's why we pray, because we have a relationship. It's not rote. It, we have, pray because we have a relationship. And we have a universal language that goes with this. You know, so frequently, a child's first words are dada. Or mama. Or papa. Or as the Jews would say, Abba. And Paul is just talked about us having a relationship with our father. It's the relationship of a child with a parent. Christians, this is our prayer life too. Don't forget it. The spirit in us cries, Abba, Father. Parents, you, you know the cry of your children. There are different cries too. There's a, I can't get my way cry. Have you had that one? I had one of those in our house the other day. Just a couple of weeks ago, naming no names. 
grandchild, though. So it reduces it down to five. So, um, and, and she, oops, <laughs> reduces it down to two. And so she was told to come down the stairs, and so didn't want, so we, we led her down the stairs. And then as she stood at the bottom of the stairs, she fell on the floor like a sack of potatoes and wailed and wailed. And well, actually, it was funny. I just, it was, I just found it funny. I was so amused. And you know, they really can go, can't they? I can't get my way. It goes on, and, 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 and they're resilient. It keeps going, you know. I was, I was, it, was, it was wonderful, really, because I thought, I don't have to live with this. Thought they got another home they belong to. Lord, you are good. I remember times like this. I'm not living with this again. Anyway, I'm just digressing here. Um, listen, but there are different cries. Many, many years ago, I was in uh, Wickham, and um, it was absolutely packed in the streets. And in this, in this particular shop, it was, I was, it was heaving, heaving, and I heard this cry. And the cry went, it was, mummy, mummy. But it was, it was a cry of anguish. It was a cry of abandonment. It was a cry of desolation. It wasn't, you know, I want to get my way cry. I mean, it was like, it, every person heard it. We all stopped as this anguish cry came from this child. Then there was movement. That was mum. And... Uh, but it just lost for a split second. And it just went through us. Not the loudness of the cry, but the sheer desperation. The cry, help, help me. You know, our Father knows our cry. He knows our cry. He really knows our cry. It's no coincidence that Paul reminds us that we are children and he is our Father. You know, the intimacy of our relationship with God is, as our Father is absolutely staggering. You can be sure, as Paul is talking about groanings and weaknesses, this language our Father knows, and He hears it. So pray we must. And prayer isn't always easy. So in verse 26, it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us. He has promised, my friends, He will never leave us or forsake us. You groan, He groans. The anguish you feel, He feels. The core of that agonizing cry is, help me, help me. The Holy Spirit, my friend, helps us. He's the closest companion you can ever get. It's the Holy. He lives in you. He helps you in your weakness. Believe me, he does. Some would say that the articulation of this prayer is, um, is praying in tongues. Let me say this. I do believe the gift of tongues helps. I really do. In circumstances, I really do believe that. I do believe that. But I don't think it's solely limited to this text here. I don't believe that. I don't think that's the sole limitation of it. Otherwise, it seems extremely limited to me. The core of this is the agony of, has helped me. The core of this is to cry out. 
We're not always able to articulate our feelings. Sometimes we, even our prayer life, we, we can't make sense of it. The Holy Spirit helps us. Gift of tongues or not. Your pain, his pain. But I have found the gift of tongues helpful. So I would encourage you in that. You know, on one occasion, we were, I was um, at Amersham Church, King's Church Amersham. We had a call for a lady who had given premature, premature uh, birth to a child. And, um, and the weight of the child was, I mean, I, I, memory recalls it was around about two pound-ish. So it was very, very... And a friend of mine called Dacre, who was leading a church in Cheshire at the time, um, we went over there, and in the car, we just prayed. We just prayed, and we were, in, we were just in anguish for the situation, and we just prayed in tongues all the way, just prayed in tongues. And um, we fell out of our depth, we just... I'm, we didn't even know how to pray in this instance. We're just out of our depth. The Spirit helps us. And then we felt emboldened to pray when we were there. They didn't want us in there. But we, they had, the parents had asked, and they, we, felt embo- they, we were emboldened to pray. It's this little thing that could be not, not like a sparrow in an incubator here. And we prayed. You see, the Holy Spirit helps us. In our weakness, he helps us to pray. He helps us groan. He helps us in our prayer life. And you know what? It was miraculous. That child is still alive. Over 20 years later, that child is still alive and well and healthy and no repercussions. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. At the... um, HDB conference, a monk spoke about his prayer life, and it was one of the highlights for us when we went to the leadership conference. He was so honest and very helpful. He's such a godly man, brilliant, he just, he really spoke, it just spoke to us, and he said he still wonders why he gets up every morning to pray, and he thinks that, you know, is there any point to this? Um, why am I doing this? He still has those thoughts keep coming to him regularly, regularly. You want to look this up on the HDB Leadership Conference site. He was the most delightful man, so open-faced. And what he found was is that he would take a couple of verses from Scripture. You ought to do this with um, Romans chapter 8, you know. Take a couple of verses of Scripture, and he would repeat them about three or four times slowly. He would repeat them. And then the it's like the living word with the Spirit of God got, got a hold of him. And, and he said, in no time, his time is gone. His prayer time is gone. Just the time whistled past. And yet it, it seemed that he had to start, he had to get started. And then, as he got into it, try this in Romans 8 anyway, a couple of verses at a time, and, and read them through slowly again, and, and you'll see what the Holy Spirit will do. I'm just encouraging you to do that. The Holy Spirit changes us. Emily writes this account. It's in um, Timothy Keller's book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And it's September. It's out of the blue. Her husband leaves her. Four children. 
As a Christian man, he vowed that this was one thing he would never do. This would not happen to them. They were just utterly devastated. After two months, the best she could describe herself was crushed. I thought that was a good word, actually. How could this be God's best for them? She knew that God would heal her, but she felt crushed, utterly crushed. Four months, and she began to see a change in herself. And she was not going to allow bitterness to be the, thumb, rule, the rule of her life. She was not going to allow that. And she started to pray for him, not for him to come back to her, but for him to come back to God. So she started to pray. And then, and then this is the account six months later. It's now been six months. My situation has gotten worse. Yet, I feel truly blessed. My husband is still gone. My kids are still dealing with the impact that their dad left. They're depressed, angry, confused, frustrated. My house is up for sale, short sale, which could turn into a foreclosure. We have no idea where we will move. And yet in the midst of all of this, I have come to know God on a different level, to see him work in a way I had only heard about. To experience this is quite amazing. I've never had a big tragedy in my life. Never had to depend on God. I mean, sure, I prayed. I saw God's work, but not like this. I never had to rely on God. Truly just fall and rest on Him. When I needed God's comfort, the image in my head was me clinging to Jesus and Him hugging me. My image now is me just completely collapsed and Him carrying me. And it is awesome. It's a brilliant book, this, by the way, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. What I'm saying is the Holy Spirit changes us. Suffering is not wasted. He changes us. But it's more glorious than that. And this is where I'm landing the plane, as to say. Suffering's not the final word, my friends. It is not the final word. You look at this passage here, verse 31. You have rhetorical question after rhetorical question. In other words, the question does not need answering. <laughs> that's a, that's a, and it's, it's like, if, verse, if God is for us, who can be against us? Yeah? Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen. Who's going to bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? I think there's about five questions, one after the other after the other. Who's going to bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? You know, sometimes we do terrible things. Sometimes we, you know, we, I, I just don't know what came over me. I just don't know. Why did I do that? just didn't handle that well. I can't believe I've broken boundaries that I had in place even before I became a Christian and now I've broken the boundaries. No-go areas. I've broken the boundaries. I can't believe how can God love me? How can God love me? I wonder if that's you. Who will bring a charge against 
Who will bring a charge against you? Who? Who, who condemns? Who? You have Jesus ever interceding for you, my friends. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not things you've done, not things that have happened to you, nothing. You may be shocked at yourself, but I tell you, nothing can separate you. God is never caught out. You can be assured, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Have we got that? You need to get this, you see. Because we all go down this place, how can God love me? How can God love me when I've done that? Nothing can dislodge his love for you. This chapter begins with, therefore, there is no condemnation. It now ends with, there's no separation. There's no condemnation. So stop condemning yourself. Get repentant before Jesus Christ. Don't sit there and do the condemnation stuff. Don't do the devil's work for him. Don't do it. Come to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and get cleaned up. Get it sorted. There's no condemnation. There's no separation from the love of Christ. This chapter ends, no separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. In trouble, I tell you what, he is for you. If you're in hardship, he is for you. If you're facing persecution, he is for you. Neither death nor life, life nor death, Good things or bad things can separate you from the love of Christ. No condemnation, no separation. Why? Because it's all about him. He predestined, he called, he chose, he justifies, he glorifies. Hallelujah. If it's all about you, we're stuck. But it's all about him and what he has done. He loves you. Why does he love you? You must. I, sat, I stood in the kitchen today... And I just, I cried. I sat there, I, well, I stood there. I haven't got a seat in there at the moment. And I stood there crying. I crying. Why, God, why would you love me like this? Why would you? I was thinking that, you know, the, there'd be a new heaven and a new earth, and I, I'm part of God's eternal plan, and, and it just struck me afresh. And, and why would he reveal that to you? How can I believe it? How can I believe it? But I do. Because he's revealed it to me by his spirit. What a great, an amazingly gracious God. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. He loves you. Why does he love you? Because you're good looking. I look around at plenty of good looking people here. Is it because you're good looking? Sorry. Smart? Is it because you're smart? Boy, are you a genius? God needs you. No. You know, is it, is it because... You've got, you're so humorous. Nobody says jokes like you do. Is that it? No. Do you know why he loves you? I don't know. He just loves you. That's the point. Deuteronomy 7, 7. Look at what, that's why he loves Israel. Not because you are more numerous. Not because you are stronger. No, you are very weak. He loves you because he loves you. I love my wife. Because I love her. Don't ask me to itemize it all. I just love her. He loves you. Because he loves you. You know, on the cross, he stayed there for you. I know he was nailed. 
But for you, he stayed there. He wouldn't let go of the cross for you. He refused to let go. He wouldn't separate himself from the cross so that he would not be separated from you. Hallelujah. This is our Jesus. Amen? If he wouldn't separate himself from the cross, why would he now? Why would he now? My friends, there's no condemnation and there's no separation. Hallelujah.